There was a boy who had very little athletic ability. And every time he and his friends would play some kind of team game, he was always the last to be chosen. One day, two new boys came to play with them and and they were allowed to be team captains because they were bigger and older. Surprisingly, the first team captain graciously chose the boy who had always been chosen last. Why? Because they were brothers. And he loved his little brother. So it is with God. By amazing grace, He chose us. Not because of our intelligence or our abilities or our shining personalities, but simply because He loved us. Beginning this morning and for the next several weeks, maybe six, we are going to to slow walk our way through a small letter of amazing grace written by the Apostle Paul sometime around 63 A.D. to a younger brother in Christ named Titus. Now Paul, we know well. But Titus is a young man we know very little about. He's never mentioned in the book of Acts. But we know he was with Paul, for we find him mentioned in the book of Galatians and also in the book of Corinthians. Titus was a a Gentile believer who was apparently led to Christ by Paul during Paul's first missionary journey. Over time, their relationship grew to the point that Titus served with Paul as a fellow worker on his third missionary journey. During which time, Paul sent Titus on a special assignment to the church at Corinth to help them. They helped them with a crisis they were experiencing. So through their work together, Paul had developed a great deal of trust and respect for this capable young man named Titus. Years later, Paul and Titus made their way to the island of Crete. Crete is a large island in the Mediterranean Sea, southeast of Greece. Hopefully there's a map up there. It's a mountainous island, measuring some 150 miles long by 30 miles wide at its widest point. In Paul's day, it was a Roman providence. 
with about a hundred cities and several very important ports and heavily populated with a people with a very nasty reputation. The people of Crete were a tough and wild bunch. They were infamous for treachery and greed. They were violent and immoral, and they considered lying to be culturally acceptable. It was said to be Cretan was to be a liar. These were difficult people whose history goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Do you remember the Philistines? They were the arch enemies of the Israelites and they came from this island. So Paul and Titus had their hands full in Crete. But it's not all bad. For some Christians were already there. If you recall on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, people were there in Jerusalem from all over the place, to include some, we are told, from the island of Crete. Acts chapter 2 tells us that Cretans were there. They got the full Pentecost experience. They heard Peter preach. And we are told that on one single day, 3,000 people were saved. And some were certainly Cretans. So there were some believers in disorganized home churches already on the island when Paul and Titus arrived. But still, it would be no cakewalk for them. They had some difficult and demanding work ahead of them, and they jumped in with both feet. But eventually... there came a time for Paul to leave. And he left Titus behind to lead in organizing and shepherding the churches there. So that's the setting of this letter. And if you have your Bible... Turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, and I'm only going to read the first four verses. This is the only slide you're going to see from this point on. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul. A bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. For the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even His Word in the proclamation which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Period. Period. If you can look past the verses, the verse numbers, 
you will notice this passage actually forms one long sentence. One long sentence that seems to build upon itself, presenting us with one thought-provoking truth after another. This is a greeting. One long greeting that gives Titus some principles to guide his life and ministry. In his greeting, Paul describes himself as a bondservant of God. Do you see that? A bond servant of God. That word bond servant is the Greek word doulos. Doulos. Which is another word for slave. And it carries all the images you might think of when you think of a slave. In a nutshell, a slave was the property of another, right? A slave was the property of another. A person whose own will, whose own will was swallowed up in the will of another. That's what it means to be a slave. But in Paul's case, in Paul's case, the meaning goes much deeper than that. In the Old Testament, as far back as Exodus, God's people had an economic system set forth in the law of Moses. And this system included rules and regulations for those who found themselves in debt. Essentially, those in debt became the slaves of the creditor. That was the rule. Those in debt became the slaves of the creditor. But fortunately, that slavery had a termination date. When the seventh year rolled around, the seventh year, all the slaves were set free and they could go forth once more to be their own masters. You following me? Now some of them, not all of them, but some of them remembered what it was like to be free in a harsh and cruel world. It wasn't that good. And they realized they actually had it better as a slave. In some cases, their masters were gracious. They were cared for. They were housed and they were well fed. They saw this newfound freedom as something to be feared. And so the law of Moses provided a way for these people to voluntarily and willfully remain as slaves to their masters. According to instructions in Exodus chapter 21, a slave could go to their master. 
and say they wanted to remain permanently bound to them. The slave would then be taken to the tabernacle where the priest would lead the slave to the doorpost and pierce the earlobe with an awl. And from that time forward, the slave would belong to the master as a bondservant. And wherever the slave walked, that pierced ear was a symbol of their love for the master. Paul was a bondservant. Willfully bound and surrendered to God. This lowliest of positions was his greatest honor. He wore it like a pierced ear. And although not perfect by any stretch of the means, in every aspect of his life, Paul had chosen to follow his master, to do God's will, or maybe better said, Paul made God's will his own will. Paul wanted what God wanted. And that led Paul to a special calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for apostle literally means one who is sent. One who is sent. Specifically, one who is sent by Jesus Christ with God's authority to preach the gospel and to establish churches under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In the early days of the church, God called special men to do special tasks. And among them were apostles. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, He had many disciples who followed Him. And from these, He chose apostles. An apostle was to have been an eyewitness to Jesus after His resurrection. He had to have been specially commissioned by the Lord for this role. And his apostleship was to be verified through results of his spiritual service. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus and killed himself. And I believe it was the Lord's plan all along to fill that vacant position with Paul. Paul is a slave, and he is a sent one. Sent for the faith of those chosen of God. Paul knew who he was, he knew who he was, and what he was supposed to do. He was a surrendered servant of God with a clear threefold purpose. Hear me. First, to share the gospel of grace. Hear me here. To share the gospel of grace so that the chosen of God might respond with a saving faith. Let me repeat that. His first purpose was to share the gospel of grace so that 
the chosen of God might respond with a saving faith. Now the way I said that, the way I said that might be a little confusing. I said it that way on purpose. It might be a little confusing, prompting the question, did God choose us, or did we choose God? Did God choose us, or did we choose God? It's an old question. It's a touchy question. And I think the only right answer and the best answer is yes. It's just yes. Biblically, both apply. It's a paradox. It's a paradox. Before the foundation of the world, hear me, before the foundation of the world, before anyone could do anything, before we were anything, believers were graciously Chosen by God. And those that have been chosen must respond to Him with a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Again, it is a paradox. So Paul's threefold purpose begins with sharing the gospel. To bring the truth to the chosen so they might believe and be saved. And then secondly, to build up the chosen. To nurture their knowledge of the truth so that they might grow in godliness. Let me explain that. What we believe, what we understand, what we know to be true should have an influence in how we act. Does that make sense? Or said another way, our inward beliefs, okay, our inward beliefs should be reflected in our outward behavior. Does that make sense? Our inward beliefs should be reflected in our outward behavior. For example, a person who understands the truth pertaining to the law of gravity should act accordingly and put on a parachute before jumping out of an airplane. Right? That makes sense. What we know to be true influences our actions. With that understanding, in that light, when it comes to godliness, that means our lifestyle, our normal way of life, should be consistent with what we know to be true about God. That makes sense. As we grow, the truth we gain about God, whether by knowledge or by experience, should have an impact in our lives. 
That's reasonable, isn't it? So Paul's threefold purpose was first sharing the gospel. Secondly, to build up believers so that they might grow in godliness. And lastly, to encourage believers to face the challenges in this life until they reach their eternal destiny in the next. If you notice in the passage, Paul anchors eternal life with the word hope. You see that? Hope. Now to many people today, hope means maybe. It means maybe. As in, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope I get a new Ford Raptor someday. Amen, brother. Thank you. In these cases, the word hope is nothing but wishful thinking, right? Used for things that are uncertain. But in the New Testament, when it comes to hope, there is no maybe about it. No maybe about it. True hope is the certainty that something God has promised will happen. What He said will be, will be. It's that kind of hope. The hope of knowing God, the hope of eternal life that keeps people like Titus hanging in there during his difficult and demanding times on Crete. It helps one to weather the storms over the long haul. Our hope is a rock-solid hope because our hope is secured in the character of God. A character that does not change. Our certainty, our hope, rests upon the character of the God who promises. The God who never lies. So yes, you can do something God cannot do. Now that little word, that little comment from Paul, God cannot lie, introduces us to an underlying issue in this letter. One of the problems in the Cretan churches was that they had a distorted view of the one true God largely due to their pagan views about their Greek gods. The Cretans were steeped into Greek mythology. And they claimed their chief god, Zeus, was born on their highest mountain. And they acknowledged that he had a very questionable character. Zeus was thought to seduce women on a whim. He had a lack of sympathy for mortals. They were like play toys to him. And he would deceive others to get his way. They acknowledged that. 
Paul wants to be really clear here, for he knows this letter will be read publicly before the churches. The God revealed in Jesus Christ is totally different from their mythical God, Zeus. For the basic character traits seen in Jesus are faithfulness and truth, which means the Christian way of life will be about faithfulness and truth, which will be a drastic change for the Cretans. God's character will not allow him to lie. He cannot lie. And because he cannot lie, the hope of eternal life for those who have placed their faith in Jesus is a certainty. It's a sure thing. In the 60s and 70s, Steve McQueen, who remembers that name? Steve McQueen was a top Hollywood actor who led a life as tough as the one he portrayed in movies. Success filled his life until alcohol and a failed marriage left him empty. In his despair, he attended a crusade led by one of Billy Graham's associates. McQueen made a profession of faith and he requested an opportunity to speak with Billy Graham. Fortunately, a connecting flight in Los Angeles allowed Dr. Graham to spend a couple hours with McQueen, where Dr. Graham shared numerous scriptures about eternal hope and assurance. McQueen struggled with the thought of God giving eternal life to a man who had such a checkered past. However, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, he found those words that really spoke to him. The hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. McQueen requested something to write down that verse. But Dr. Graham gave him his Bible instead. Four days later, four days, McQueen died in Mexico while seeking experimental treatment for cancer. He passed, it is said, he passed into eternity clutching that Bible to his chest. Our God is a promise-keeping God. What God says He will do, He will do in His time. And Paul explains that in God's time, the truth of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ was revealed. It had been previously hidden. But now at the proper time, it was brought to light through the proclamation of God's Word. A Word that Paul said he was entrusted with by God's command. A word that was then committed to Titus and since passed down to us. 
Now, I want to sidestep for a moment, just for a moment, to say something about God's proper time. What God says He will do, He will do. But it will be done on His terms and according to His timetable. Not ours. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with this. Sometimes I have a hard time with God's time. Again, I don't know about you. I'm sure it's just me. But for me, sometimes it seems that God takes way too long to come to my aid. Leaving me discouraged and even disappointed with Him. Being honest. Now the truth is, God is never late. His timing is perfect. He's not the problem. So what is the problem? Well, since I'm only speaking about me, here's the problem. I want things my way. I want things my way. I want things to happen on my terms and on my time. I expect, I expect God to act a certain way on my behalf. The way I think He should act on my behalf. Basically, I am more concerned with what I want instead of what God wants for me. I have to be reminded that God is faithful and true because that is His character. And He will do what He says He will do. But He will choose to act or not to act according to His perfect will and timing. And in the meantime, I am left with trusting and depending upon Him, knowing that He has a purpose and a promise me. I don't like the mean times. In verse 4, Paul brings his greeting to a close where he refers to Titus as my true child in a common faith. In the first three verses, Paul described himself as a bondservant who was submitted to his master. He was an apostle committed to God's mission and God's message. And here, we see Paul as someone 
dearly concerned about God's people, like a loving parent in the case of Titus. Paul says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Grace is what brings salvation. And peace is what comes from it. Grace is what saves and peace is what we experience because we are saved. Paul and Titus were two different men coming from two different cultures with two different, entirely different backgrounds in different roles at different stages in their spiritual journey in different places. And yet they shared a common faith in Jesus Christ. They were saved by grace the same way. And in their own ways, both felt compelled to follow and serve the Lord. Whatever that might look like. Wherever that might lead. Both were chosen and equipped by God with certain gifts and abilities suitable for their calls. Both were given very difficult and demanding assignments and both faithfully walked the path that God had set before them. And you know what? As a child of God, I could plug your name in there as well. Now you might balk at that. I'm no Paul. I'm no Titus. But you don't have to be. You have been chosen by grace just like them. God has a purpose for you too. And there is no telling how God can use you if you are willing to let Him. <clears throat> a water bearer in India had two large pots each hung on the end of a pole which he carried across his neck. Can you picture that? One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house. But the crackpot arrived only half full. For a full two years, this went on daily, where with the, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots, of water to his master's house. One and a half. The perfect pot was proud of his accomplishments. Perfect to the end for which it was made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of his own imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, 
It spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I am ashamed of myself. And I want to apologize to you. Why? asked the water bearer. What are you ashamed of? I have been able for the past two years to deliver only half of my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all this work and you don't get the full value from your efforts, the pot said. The water bearer felt sorry for the old crack pot. And in his grace, he said, As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old crack pot took notice of the, of the sun warming the beautiful wild flowers on the side of the path. And this cheered it up some. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out half of its load. And so again, it apologized to the bearer for its failure. The bearer said to the crackpot, Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other side? That's because I have always known about your flaw. And I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day while we walk back from the stream, you've watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would have never had this beauty to grace his house. We're all crackpots. But by God's grace, He has chosen us. In spite of us, He has chosen us. And as we walk faithfully along the path that God has set before us, He can use us just as we are. Even with our flaws. To serve Him in His divine purpose. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. I hope that it was pleasing to You. And Father, I pray that You would use it to, to motivate us to be about Your business. To be reminded of Your, your purposes for us. To love You. And to love and serve one another. Father, we are all crackpots. We're all crackpots. And you know that. And still, you chose us. Thank you. May you be honored and glorified in us and through us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things, the insignificant things of the world, and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. You know what those are? Job qualifications? <laughs> those are job qualifications to serve the Lord. Are they not? That's how they read to me. Those are job qualifications. And I'm pretty sure, I'm just looking around, I'm pointing fingers, but I'm pretty sure every one of us qualify. Maybe some more than other, Russ. <laughs> We qualify. It's amazing what God can do if we allow Him to do it. He loves us so much. Maybe you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know Him. That was Paul's first purpose, to share the Gospel. I would love to share the gospel with you if you do not know him. I would love to introduce you to the one who loves you more than you'll ever know and who can use you just as you are. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe there's something else. Maybe even now God is meddling with you. Why is He doing this? He's meddling. I ask you to respond to Him. If you just need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Again, however God moves you. Whatever that might look like, just respond to Him. Thank you.